Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the US earnings season. What is it? How does it work? Where are the surprises? And what does it really mean? Make sure you take plenty of notes, and as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Pleasure to be here, Mr. B. Thanks very much for having me. Now, as you know, the nature of my personality working on the trading desk, I love statistics. More importantly, I like deciphering why those statistics are in fact true. What we're going to do today is talk about the US earnings season wrap. So who performed, who didn't, what the stats were, and why that's the case, why that's even important to realize as an investor. Hmm. The reporting season or the earnings season is, is I guess, the scorecard. It's rather like your kids being at school and you get the end of term report to see how they're going. And <clears throat> there's a lot of ways you can look at that report card if we talk about kids at school for a moment. That's a subject to know a fair bit about. Um, and that is, it gives you a very good here and now as to how they're performing, things like consistency. But it also gives you some areas to really focus on for the coming term. So it's not just a, a past performance is what's happened, but it also gives you some game plan going forward. And I think in much the same way, the earnings season for companies is just as important. Yes, it's great to see what's in the can in terms of the result, but more importantly is what's coming down the pipeline or what areas are there to focus on as an investor. So certainly uh, an extremely busy time uh, through the year for us as, as traders, but also very, very important to make sure that the strategy you're working is aligned with the actual facts of the matter of what the market's got on offer. That's right, because it's not just the company reporting that you typically see heightened volatility with, it's like other stocks in that same sector, the contagion yeah. effect, right? It, exactly right. And markets, I guess, you know, given a capitalistic model, are very, very efficient. So if you were to compare two banks and um, one of them reported today and one reports next week, uh, one of the things that you potentially can do is extrapolate the results from the company reported today and see how their um, I guess um, explanation of how trading has been would then impact on the company that reports next week to try and give yourself a jump start as to how they're going to perform. Very dangerous doing that. There's some skills involved Indeed. Uh, in that that are very, very high level skills. But I guess in its most basic format, how often does earnings season happen? Well, it happens in Australia twice a year. It's six monthly. In the US, it's a quarterly event. And I think the quarterly system, I think, is is actually better insofar as there's a lot can happen in six months, whereas I guess using a far or half that time frame, you can get a far more focused understanding of the business conditions and the impact that they're having uh, on the running of a company and therefore its share price. So I do like the quarterly earnings, even though there's more work to do for, for our analysts when they're looking at it. It's, it's, it's definitely a, a more current um, yeah, measure as to as to what you can be expecting from market. So very, very important in that regard. In terms of the actual components of the earnings AB, so we know there's really three main driving factors. There's the expectations mm. of what the analysts think the earnings will be. Mm. There's the actual earnings as to what they are. And then there's the guidance, which yep. is the company saying, this is what we think is going to happen and more forward looking, which is the most important and why, if I can put you on the spot. Look, they're, they're, they're all important. Personally speaking, I think the guidance for me uh, is what I tend to look at the most, uh, and I'll explain why. So in the run-up to earnings, there are expectations that, oh, uh, you know, the economy's going well, retail sales, for example, if you're talking about uh, you know, a merchandising company, um, are really strong, so we're expecting a, a good number from that sector. Foot traffic at shopping malls is high, so all the analysts are you know, pretty excited about where the number's going to be. Then there's the announcement, the actuals, and there can sometimes be quite a significant 
decoupling between what people are expecting versus what actually happens. Uh, and it's always interesting if you if you look, one of the terms you'll often see used when it comes to describing company earnings is something called consensus. Uh, and so there's the survey, and it might be a Bloomberg survey of all the analysts that cover retail, and collectively they're expecting a number of X out of a company. That's the average amongst all of the analyst surveys that they're expecting. And this is revenue, earnings per share, those revenue, kind of earnings, metrics, profit, right? um, yeah. dividend, whatever it might be, but there's a consensus view which is uh, lobbing together all the analysts uh, that were surveyed and roughly where they're at. And <clears throat> I think rather like managed funds where there's a lot of pressure to sort of roll along rather than trying significantly outperform analysts can often be the same where they tend to huddle in groups of central tendency uh, and, and all come up with much the same sort of figures uh, and no one really goes out on a limb so consensus can be a long long way from the truth best example of that would have been enron actually which uh, uh, you know people with a good memory will remember was the was the energy company the energy trading company that was the market darling until it imploded and, and went bust and there was really only one analyst on wall street was calling it a fabrication and a scam when it actually was and everyone else was, oh no, you can't say that, it's a brilliant company. So consensus opinions, even though everyone might be in that one camp, aren't necessarily right. That's uh, right. And that's a really good example of that. So there's the expectation going in, then the actual uh, as to when the company come out and, uh, comes out and presents its uh, results. Now, if there's a difference between what was expected and what's actually announced, it can have quite a marked and immediate impact on the share price. So let's say earnings were expected to be $3 a share and you came in at $3.20 a share, you've outperformed expectation and you would expect that the share price would respond accordingly and move up quite strongly. Positive which, surprise, which, right? Which a positive surprise can happen. It doesn't always work like that. And, and the reason um, <clears throat> that it doesn't always work like that is the actual guidance that comes out of the company. Oh yeah. So there's a guess as the expectations forecast or guess on the front end. Then there's the actual, and then there's the narrative that the company then comes up with for this is where we see things going over the next quarter, next year, etc. And that's why I think the guidance is the most important because, you know, if you're in the stock and the numbers are good and the share price jumps, you've made your money. But if you're not in the stock and you're looking at the earnings as a, as a confirmation to get in, it's already happened because you'll see a gap uh, where the share price might jump up on that earnings announcement. What's really important is looking where the guidance is to help you with your timing. So yeah, if the company comes out and says, look, we've, we've earned $3.20 a share, expectations were at $3, so we're really happy with their performance. However, we're expecting trading conditions to get very, very difficult over the coming three to six months because of a move up in oil prices or a change in global economic activity or a pandemic or whatever it may be. And as a consequence, we're even though we've delivered great results this, this quarter, we actually want to manage your expectations and say, look, it's getting much tougher, so please don't expect us to back this result up next time. Now, as an investor hearing that kind of message from the company, you'd be thinking, well, maybe it's time to cash out. But that's very rarely the case because Investors tend to reward that transparency and expectation management. Microsoft were exceptional at this under Steve Ballmer, who was the uh, which who was the CEO for a number of years, quite some time ago now, over 20 years ago now, and he was great at managing the market's expectation and also 
really damping any flames of expectation from the quarter ahead uh, to say, look, you know, don't, don't know, it, it is tough out there, we're doing our best, but it is pretty tough in order that whenever they deliver their results, they consistently outperformed expectations in the market and uh, made himself a few billion with that too. I wouldn't wonder with the shareholding ahead in the company. It's really tough because we're really getting a micro outlook on a company to company basis. Mm. If you're an investor, you've of course got the macro data, so the big picture stuff, the economy, inflation, all that kind of thing. But when the companies get into the confession booth, it can be really impactful on the share price. And we know just how much volatility there, there can be around earnings, which we'll talk about strategies later, AB. Mm. Very much so. I mean, volatility is exactly what's going on because you, you're at a point in time where either the share price is expected to go pop or flop, uh, yep. not, not stay flat. That's right. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Volatility can go through the roof. But I, I really think that out of the three, expectations are great. Actuals, well, that's happened. It's in the rear view mirror now. And it's more the guidance of what's coming. And you buy shares today for what's coming, not for what they've done. So that's why I like guidance as my major marking point. Gotcha. Let's wrap up the most recent US earnings season. So we're using data here from FactSet as of September 1st. Now, it had pretty weak expectations. I think the market had an aggregate expectation for negative earnings growth in the order of around 7%. Mm. only came in at negative 4%. And you might say, well, that's still negative 4%, although it was much less worse than what the market had expected prior, right? Isn't it interesting? So the outlook was horrible. Yeah, we're expecting 7% down. But it was only down four and a bit percent. Everyone's gone, oh, that's good news. The, the, the actual reality is that earnings have declined, but because they haven't declined as much as people were expecting, it's now doing a lap of honor going, oh, there's actually a really good earnings season, which is a really peculiar uh, that's the market, right? Set of lenses to look Bizarre. Through. So it's okay, it's bad, but it's not as bad as was expected. So, oh, that's good, that's the share price goes up. It's an extraordinary. Um, phenomena that can happen in trading and it shows the emphasis, the emotional emphasis investors have on that. Um, you know, when you've got a big forecast and expectations are very, very low and very consistently pointing towards that and then everyone or large to a large extent, I think over 70% of companies actually outperformed expectations. I think it was 79% yeah. of S&P 500 companies came in above their expectations. Yeah, which, which is huge. Um, so, you know, the news wasn't as bad all is well with the world and on goes this rally in markets, even though earnings have declined, they haven't declined by as much as people expected. So you've got slowing earnings, but you've still got share prices going up. Now that's a, an enormous disconnect in any playbook uh, as an analyst of markets because share prices only go up when earnings expect or earnings increase to support that share price. When earnings are declining, even though they're not declining as badly as people thought, that's now been thrown out the window, so it's good news. Hard to get hurt falling out of the basement window, as uh, one great man once said within our office. Yeah, look, uh, that, that's definitely true, and it's a, it's a terrific quote. Uh, yeah, the reality is that's why using multiple forms of analysis is actually really important. And what we're talking about here of, of sort of drilling into looking at company earnings is, is really within the remit of fundamentals where you're really diving deep, you're lifting the bonnet, what's going on with the company, how profitable is it, how much more profit do they expect to make over coming quarters, do they expect business to get better, do they expect to get worse, that's all in the fundamental camp. And as I've just alluded to, that model is really creaky right now insofar as what's happening versus what should be happening are totally different. And this is why we use a blend of analysis. And if you look at the technicals, the technical analysis, the charting, you can see the momentums in the stock. And so it's going to continue going up. And this is the advantage of not using a form of market analysis over another. It's good to use a blend. Well, to play devil's advocate for you, so 79% of companies have come in above the analyst expectations. That's great news. 
Earnings decline was 4% rather than 7%. That's great news. Yet we look at the stats on the guidance. Now, not every company issues guidance. Let's be clear on that. I think it was 72 were negative guidance, 43 were positive. Almost twice as many who were mm -hmm. negative rather than positive, yet yep. the market's still going up. Exactly right. So the outlook is, yeah, no, it's going to get harder. And I know we're seeing earnings slowing down and actually falling, and it's going to get much harder. Um, but the share price is still going up. Again, that's, weird. It, it is weird is a great term to use. I think, again, that reinforces the importance of having a multi-strand approach to your analysis. Uh, and look, earnings are a very, very important part of sustaining evaluation. So if you've got a company that's trading at, say, 20 times its earnings, or it's on a PE of 20, it's on a yield of 5%. So that, that, that profit profitability of the business, the earnings per share has to be at least 5% to support that valuation. If the share price moves up, but the earnings don't grow. So let's say the share price moves up significantly and you're now at a PE of 30 times. If you break that back, um, effectively, if earnings haven't grown, that company is now very, very overvalued compared to what its rate of return actually is from an earnings perspective, which puts it in a really vulnerable position for a correction. And these are the sorts of things, again, that we like to look for is that overly extended valuation. And again, that's also backed up with the charts because you can look at the chart and see exhaustion patterns in the chart, not just a valuation perspective. And I appreciate, you know, this is a bit woody. So if someone listened to this again, what are these, what are these clowns talking about here? <laughs> you know, to sustain a value of something, if you want to buy an investment property and the rent's really low, the property isn't going to be on a high, high price point. If the rent's really high, the price point's going to be higher because the percentage of cash flow you can generate uh, from it is, is is relatively high. Shares are exactly the same. It works out to yield at the end of the day. And that's something a lot of people overlook. They're saying, oh, the guidance is good. You can't pay too much for your shares. You know, the secret to successful investing in the stock market is buying quality businesses, but more importantly, is buying them at the right price. So understanding how valuations and how earnings impact on that is actually quite an important point. Well, to that point, let's talk about some notable mentions. So if I pick out just a couple of examples, take NVIDIA, mm -hmm. which is almost the single best performing stock almost in history, right? And if we look at top 100 S&P 500 companies, the stock's up 100, oh, sorry, 220% or so this year. Mm. Recent earnings report had come in above expectations, which were really, really high to They're start really high, with, yeah, and over-delivered by 38%. Yeah. This is a, an extraordinary business. I mean, it started off, if memory serves, in the gaming space. And that's where it's where it's sort of DNA really was. Now it's involved with artificial intelligence, and as, as everybody knows, if you slap AI on the back of something, uh, off you go to the races. The difference is, in this instance, it's not creating this chasm of expectation; it's delivering that earnings growth. Whereas if you compare, you know, the likes of say Google or uh, or, or, or some of the other giga caps, which have also pinned their colours to the AI uh, uh, stream of uh, of growth. They haven't delivered that growth yet based on AI. It's a future expectation that it's going to come in. NVIDIA is already doing it, which even though its share price has gone on an absolute tear, doesn't mean to say that you've missed the bus because making money in the stock market, and this is by no means a, a recommendation to buy or sell NVIDIA, but a lot of people feel the way to make money is to buy low and sell high. Well, you can buy high and sell higher as a trader or if you're using derivatives to help augment your returns. And when you see that earnings growth beyond expectation, which was already lofty come in, that tells you that that motor is running pretty hot and you know, the company is delivering on its expectations, which is fantastic. So another example, let's take Abercrombie and Fitch, so mm -hmm. A&F. This was a company that had low to probably mediocre expectations on their most recent earnings report, mm -hmm. came in above their expectations by 700 and 46%. They had a whopping result that was had fairly low expectations. 
that stock is up 130% year to date. That's not necessarily the case for all retail stocks though, right? No. Retail's gone through a mixed time, and I think that's a reflection of um, the impact that um, higher interest rates and, and inflation have had on the US. Uh, and contrary to maybe what you see in the White House, average earnings has actually gone down under the previous administration, not up. And so people are feeling the pinch. And so selected retail outlets have done well. We've just gone through back to school, for example, which has been a, a boost for certain businesses. Others have suffered. I think in the case of Abercrombie & Fitch, um, yeah, as a business is in that sort of um, lower price point, um, casual gear, uh, very preppy uh, for memory. I haven't been in there for a little while. Maybe I don't sit in their demographic anymore. Um, you too old. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, or, or maybe it's income-based, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but Probably maybe, both. Maybe it's both. Probably both. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it's gone through this phase of reinventing itself, which is a business that's done multiple times previously. Uh, if you look at it um, going into uh, the pandemic, for example, their ability to be nimble and deal with slower retail sales, it's shopping malls, lower foot traffic, all that sort of stuff. They're very, very clever business at reinventing themselves. Now, the actual driver of their earnings growth, I haven't dug into them because they're not coming to follow anymore. Um, but I'd, I'd say a lot of that would have come down to stock control and some internal um, enhancements within the business. But the bottom line is when companies deliver and over-deliver what's expected, you can expect that run-through in the share price. The challenge, and this is very, very important to understand, is to see whether or not that momentum of growth can really continue. So if ANF's outperformance uh, of expectations was down to a one-off factor, that's really hard to sustain because by its very nature, that was a one-off factor. But when it's able to continue to deliver that quarter after quarter, so maybe it's a, a new distribution model or maybe it's a new um, uh, sort of um, supply chain uh, adjustment or processes in-house or warehousing that are genuine cost savings, you expect to see that over several quarters. The challenge with that, if it's been a shooting star and it's been off one-off, it, it, that's come about from one-off factors and analysts don't like being that wrong. Definitely not. So all of a sudden expectations have now shifted to be very high. Can you back that up in the next quarter? And that's a challenge for companies like Abercrombie & Fitch. And again, I think it's, it's really important to understand what the factors are that drive earnings expectations and earnings delivery. Good example, this everyone's favorite company right now to, to pillory and possibly rightly so is Qantas. You know, where you suddenly get a really big bumper quarter where the profit's much bigger than was expected, but that may well have been because aviation fuel became substantially cheaper, which is one of its biggest costs. That's not something that's necessarily something that the company in itself has done. It's a macroeconomic factor, which has ended up spilling through to more profit within the business. You can't claim the credit for that as the company. It just happens to be that the macro background was really suited to you and you outperformed and the share price jumped on the back of it. Can it stay there? That's the million dollar question. That's where you know, good CEOs damp down the flames. They're very honest about what's actually caused the growth in earnings and they manage the market's expectations. Like I said, Steve Bellman did a terrific job with it, uh, Microsoft. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. Last one on here, let's talk about Apple because how could we not? Apple is Apple, up 51% year to date, mm. thereabouts. Mm. Uh, only exceeded expectations mildly by around 6%, just slightly mm. less. So not a huge result from Apple, but a bellwether nonetheless, and some AI exposure too, which has fared quite well. I think in the case of Apple, um, because it's such an enormous company, you, you just can't see those enormous swings without there being telltale signs early on. You know, if it was going to have enormous sales, you would have seen 
a new product launch, for example. So then the expectation window sort of moves around a bit or bigger queues. And you could understand like in the hedge fund industry, for example, you know, they have cameras and they look at foot traffic in malls and all of this, how many people are lined up at nine o'clock to get into the shop to buy something and da 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 da. So you know, that analysis of data is very important. And, and so for a company the size of Apple to outperform by nearly 6% is huge in itself. And just because it's not a massive outperformance like Abercrombie and Fitch is just as significant, but perhaps more so because it's far more sustainable with that type of uh, uh, outperformance or, or beating of expectations. Because you can back that up quarter on quarter on quarter. You can't back up a 700% outperformance yeah, quarter tough. on quarter, it can't happen. It just, just can't happen. And yeah, Apple's been rewarded with a, a decent decent run up in its, uh, its share price. And you wonder yeah, what happens next for a company of that size. Here's one for you. I reckon we've, what have we got? The Starlink IPO coming up where SpaceX is is, 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 we do, is yeah. breaking out. Starlink, another what, 40 billion for Elon to put in his uh, change drawer and it will be small change for him. Um, you wonder where all of that goes. Does, does SpaceX or, or, or Starlink or a derivative of them get into phone manufacturing and say, look, we've got global coverage now with satellites, so we're going to attack the telco sector. And all too often, and you know, this is where you know some of these great tech companies have enjoyed the success they have. You know, if you think about early in Elon Musk's career, PayPal, for example, um, is to find a really, really inefficient sector and then spruce it up, make it more efficient, a better customer experience. And if you talk to most people about their experience with their telco, it's a dull experience for a start. The service isn't great, especially here in Australia with, with the likes of, say, Telstra. So along comes a company that says, right, we're going to put in low orbit satellites. I know we've gone off point a little bit with Apple, but this is something to, 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 to really see where potential growth comes from. Uh, we're going to saturate the orbit with low orbit or low altitude satellites to provide incredible internet coverage for the entire planet. And if you're someone that's got a telephone and if you're fed up with using AT&T in the US or British Telecom in the UK or Telstra here in Australia, you can have a plan with us where you have one phone number, no international code, and you can use that same phone number from anywhere in the world at a fixed cost per month without any data fees and just being a regular customer of our business. And this is the handset that we're choosing to use to go with it. Imagine if Apple gets that gig as providing the handset for that. Never know, they might make their own. They've done that with cars. That's the entrepreneurial spirit of Elon Musk. And uh, the reason I I bring that up is that, yeah, I just had an experience while I was in Europe. So I was in the, I was on the uh, French Riviera for a bit of time and and France is part of the data roaming uh, uh, package globally. But I happened to be in in, um, Monaco uh, for, for a day or so, and Monaco isn't part of that. And okay. Unknown to me at the time until I started to get these alerts oh, going on my phone. Thing. So I managed to rack up about 200 bucks worth of data usage in about three minutes on my phone, just downloading some emails and a couple of other things that I was going through at the time. And, and you can see there's still a gouge of revenue in that sort of space. So if someone like Starlink then comes along to provide the SAP technology and maybe the JVs with someone like Apple to provide the running gear affordable running gear so that you know people all over the world including third world countries can have access to this kind of amazing infrastructure of internet and phone calls for a fixed fee anywhere on the planet um yeah that's where the future can hold and and maybe that's where some growth may come for the likes of apple maybe it might be some growth you heard it here first for somewhere else if they're able to build their own handsets could be another company that builds handsets just watch out for that one almost another podcast this too could be and that's the sort of thing that 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 would massively then impact Going back to micro macro factors, it's a micro factor because it's only something that would affect you know, phone manufacturers like Apple, but it's actually massive from a macro perspective too. And those two things come together 
and they're real game changers. But looking out through the guidance and the earnings is is is, is part and parcel of how to sort of spot these opportunities. But then we've got straddles for the normal, or sorry, we've got strategies, should I say, uh, for, for, for the earnings season anyway. And so let's explore how we trade the earnings. Well, I think the, the strategy that comes to my mind and one that I've taught extensively would be the straddle, which is effectively a bet each way, right? So you're betting on it going up and down, but as long as it moves enough, either up or down, you can profit quite quite substantially. Mm. One thing we've also been involving a lot of our clients will know from our trading desk recommendations is a lot of data-driven earnings plays. So if we're able to run stocks through the Mensa in terms of how they perform at a certain time frame, exactly one week or two weeks or 10 days before their earnings, you can really give yourself a decent bias mm. to the upside or the downside and then play to that quite extensively. I think you know, that, that sort of intel uh, and data is, is enormous and you wonder where the likes of AI really kicks in from a, a trading perspective and that's one such example. And as you mentioned, the straddle is a great strategy for, for, for having a quid each way. And I appreciate that sounds oh, you don't know where it's going, you, you get them a bet both ways. But typically when there's an earnings announcement, it will move either of those ways. You're not going to know until the moment. And using a strategy like a straddle provided there is enough movement can be very, very lucrative because if it pops up, your calls are in the money. If it pops down, your puts are in the money uh, and, uh, and, and, you're, and you're making some serious dough. And we've had certainly some great success with that, but it is a mechanical strategy, that's for sure, uh, for, for, for lining yourself up to get a profit from that. And I guess that's why getting educated is, is so critically important. You know, most people involved with the stock market are quite passive. Here comes the earnings season. Oh, that was good. And share price moved up. Maybe there's a uh, you know share buyback or something. Oh, yeah, that's good. But there's so many other ways of really profiting and perhaps more importantly, de-risking. Because if you're holding a stock and the number comes out and it's not great and the guidance is, let's let's take Abercrombie and Finch if we go ANF in the next quarter. Analyst expectations are now going to be pretty high based on them being so manifestly wrong this quarter. And let's say the company under delivers. How do you think the share price is going to go? It might be up 130% this year, but it's going to give an awful lot of that away. And if you're a shareholder and you just sat there and, and, and all of the, or a good chunk of the profit you've made this year is eroded by a negative announcement, that's not fun. Whereas if you're trading the better tool for the time, i.e. a straddle, for example, that drop in the share price is exactly what you want and, and then it's leveraged at that. So it can be really quite dramatic in terms oh, yeah. of the impact on your account. So this is why getting educated is so important. You know, you can always add value to your investment decisions by learning more. And obviously that's something that we espouse to here at Australian Investment Education is to make sure our clients are educated so they can capitalize on this. And and I, I just hope that people, you know, so many people sit there with their arms folded, oh, I'm already in the share market. You might be in the share market, but how, are you in the share market? Are you playing a two-dimensional game like drafts or are you interested in playing a three-dimensional game like chess? And the more ability you've got to increase the control you've got on your outcome, the more profitable you're very likely to be. Well, we AB, that's a really good wrap and some really good advice there. So thank you very much. And I think some really good informa information for our clients. Great stuff. Thanks, Mitch, anytime. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.